Today's interview was with my dear friend Jen, blogger, model, and mom of two beautiful twin girls. Jen helps me understand what it's like to be a NICU mom after her twins were born at 30 weeks and spent three months in the NICU. She walks me through what those days were like, the many highs and lows, and teaches me some really helpful things like NICU etiquette and what helped them the most during that challenging time. We relive all of it, and I can't wait to share her intense and beautiful journey of bringing these two babies home with you guys today. Okay, I am here with my dear friend, Jen Hawkins, who, hi Jen, (laughs) who I've known for a really long time. I mean, 10, 11 years. Yeah, we met, I think right around the time you and Neil met, actually. Yeah, yeah. We, well, it was a couple months after because I... I still remember where I met you. We did a sub for Santa. Well, Neil and his friends did a sub for Santa at his house. <laughs> Shows what kind of guy he is. And it really does, though. That's kind of fitting that that's how I met you guys was yeah. sub for Santa. Well, and you. You came and supported <laughs> and helped with that, and that's how we met and just became really good friends while we were yeah. both working professionals. Navigating like, single life. Well, I guess you and Neil had just met, but yeah, we were dating living life. In, yeah, dating life. That's a better way to put it. Living in Salt Lake. Yeah. And I, I remember we became friends really fast. Like you were a e- really easy person to become friends with. And I don't know. I'm going to brag for a second that I was someone who benefited from your deal hunting before the blog existed. Oh, that's <laughs> nice, Jen. What Thanks. was it like a... You'd always, you'd like send things out in text that you'd find or like you'd post about someone yeah. go buy this. Yeah. <laughs> On Instagram. That's yeah. so funny. So now here we are. We're both a couple of moms living in Orange County and Jen has a blog too. Tell us about your blog. My blog is called Palms to Pines. You know, it started kind of, I was working as a print and commercial model and a lot of times when they'd book us for jobs, they'd start to ask how many followers we had. And I was like, what? Like, that's part of this. And and it has become part of it. And so along with that, I decided to start my own blog where I could kind of have an outlet, but also support my modeling and offer that as something that could go along with jobs that I booked. And then now I, I still do some modeling. The types of jobs I do have changed. Like recently I shot like a reading, like an eyeglass job, you know, like instead of cool clothes and stuff. That's what I'm doing now, but I love it. And it's something that has a flexible schedule that I can do the blog along with it. And then since I've become a mom, I kind of started naturally blogging about things that I've learned as a mom. So, And you are an extra special mom because I have twins. She has twins. I have the twin baby girls. Yeah. twins. They're yeah. so beautiful. So, oh, so Jen and I are going to talk about her journey with having these twins, getting Uh pregnant, being on bed rest, and then being a NICU mom for quite a while. Yeah. So let's go back to where where you guys were at when you got pregnant and how Um, that that time of life was. It's so funny because I had turned 30, and after I turned 30, I kind of just panicked, like, oh, maybe I should have babies. This is the time I should start having babies. And uh, for a while, my husband wasn't on board, and then— we finally got to the same place and decided to get pregnant and I got pregnant right away. And I was kind of like, oh my gosh, like, wait, do I really? I started (laughs) having all these feelings that like Blake had had before. And it was actually kind of good because I understood like all the reasons why he wasn't ready to start a family. I started feeling that as soon as I got pregnant. And then I actually miscarried and then of course had all these feelings of like, no, I actually was ready to start a family. And that was another hard thing to go through. So it's just like, 
I don't know, a lot of the experiences you have in life, I feel like help you understand why things are the way they are. And that's kind of what that was for me. And then we got pregnant again. And this time we went in for the ultrasound. The first ultrasound, I think I was eight weeks. And I'm just so nervous to hear a heartbeat thinking like I'd already had a miscarriage. Was I going to hear one? And so when we first heard the heartbeat, I thought like, I just was overwhelmed with like, oh my gosh, like they say, once you hear the heartbeat, your chances of miscarrying are so low. And I was Mm -hmm. like, so amazed at the sound. And then all of a sudden the ultrasound tech was like really quiet. And then she goes, honey, I have something to tell you. And she goes, there are two heartbeats. And I was just so (laughs) like, oh my gosh, like my baby has two hearts. How did that happen? Like I was so, because to me, having twins had never even crossed my mind. Like it wasn't like, I wasn't someone who thought about it or like, it just wasn't, it didn't run in my family. It wasn't. So I was just immediately like so shocked and upset. Anyways, Blake with you? Blake was with me. He was behind me. I couldn't see his face. And so, and then in my head, I'm like, oh my gosh, this poor guy, like I convinced him to have a baby and now we're having twins. And apparently he was like smiling the whole time. (laughs) And I remember the ultrasound tech saying like, I'm so glad you're so happy. That's really going to help her because I'm a mess, like crying, like just afraid and like shocked. And apparently Blake was like, oh, yeah, I've always wanted twins. And I was like, excuse me? Really? You've always wanted? Yeah, he's always wanted twins, which. So he's secretly manifesting this. He is. This is This is all Blake. Yeah. So that was actually really good. And then it didn't take long for me to start getting excited about the idea of having twins. I was still like really nervous. I didn't know what to expect, but I immediately started researching and I think it helped me like, it kind of set the tone for my attitude for my whole pregnancy and having the babies of like, okay, I'm going to try to like be prepared and be as efficient as possible. And what are the things I need to do that? And it sounds silly too, but I think having twins taught me a lot of lessons that I needed to learn and still need to learn. And So it's kind of cool to just see how, like, to me, God gives you these—I don't want to call my babies a trial because they're, like, the biggest blessing in the world, but he gives you certain circumstances that teach you exactly what you need to learn. I so agree with that. It's been crazy to just, like, watch that happen so blatantly in my life. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I can't even imagine having that moment where you're like, this, this is it. This is what we're going to take on. Yeah. And— And we also decided early on that we were going to be really positive about everything. And we actually um, took—there's a class that they offer. It's like a class for people who are having multiples. And we took this class, and it was cool to be in a room with all people who were kind of in our same position, like having twins or— I don't think we had any triplet parents in that class. It was all twins. Was it like through the hospital? Yeah. So it's like, you know how you can sign up for classes through the hospital? like Right, like the newborn. Neil and I did that one, the like how to take care of a baby. Yes. And the whole time I was like, this is easy. And Neil is like deer in headlights the whole time. Oh, totally. I'm the oldest and he's the youngest. And, you know, I was oldest of four, so I did babies forever and babysat totally and nanny yeah. yeah and neil was the youngest of six had never changed a diaper in his life so he's just sitting there the whole time like what so yeah. shocked yes. that's actually really similar to how it was for us because i'm the same as you like there's five kids in my family i'd taken care of my little brothers and blake had never same as neil had never changed a diaper and so so i think the classes were good but i was kind of like yeah 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 like i don't really need to know that but the one the only one i ended up having time to take which i'll explain why Later, but the only one, and we just randomly happened to sign up for it earlier because we couldn't 
like they recommend you take the classes pretty late in your pregnancy. Right. And this one, for whatever reason, we went pretty early on in my pregnancy. And it ended up being such a blessing that we did because there were a few things that I learned in the class. And the main thing that I remember is that the teacher of the class, who was actually had had twins herself years before, she said, no matter what happens, always try to like put a positive spin on it. So like if your baby ends up if if your baby ends up in the NICU, say you get to take one home before the other, just, you know, be grateful that you got to take that one home instead of worrying about the one in the hospital, kind of stuff like that. And that really stuck with us just always to put a positive spin on things. And that is so we cool. had no idea at the time how much that would help us later on. But that was like, that's what got us through the rest of what happened. <laughs> wow. That's really yeah. cool. And I didn't know that. So yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you guys were like, this is what we're going to do and how we're going to do it. Yeah. And so what was twin pregnancy like? You know, that's another thing is I'm always like, oh, it could always be worse. It could have been worse, but it was not fun. <laughs> like if you think about a regular pregnancy, like your everything's double. So like your hormones are double, like your, like I developed gestational diabetes, which I at the time was embarrassed and ashamed about, but I came to learn it's just something that happens because you are producing double the hormones that you would in a normal pregnancy. And um, so everything's double. You That's have really double. Like I, I had two, that. yeah, I had two sacs and two placentas. So like, that's extra space and extra like weight and just extra things like weighing on your body that you have to supply nutrition for. And like, so in a lot of ways it was hard, but in a lot of ways, you know, like I have had friends who have had single pregnancies that were harder than mine. So I just tried to keep everything in perspective. So with the gestational diabetes, yeah. I had no idea. I like, I mean, I've had three kids and every time I always like get on the internet and try to refresh myself for how to like, yeah. Like because you forget cheat. everything. Because yeah. I'm like, okay, what do I need to not eat for 24 hours so I can like pass this test and move yeah. on with my life? Well, you know what's funny is I was so cocky I was gonna refuse the glucose test because oh. I don't eat a lot of sugar. So I was healthy. like, I fe- I feel like I'm a healthy person. I was like, I wonder if I can just refuse it and not do it. And then I kind of just chickened out. No, I didn't. I don't know. I'm kind of a people pleaser. I was like, I want my OB to like me. So I, yeah. So I took this test and was so shocked when they called me to say that I had gestational diabetes, like to the point where I was like, I think they're wrong. But they weren't wrong. I did have it because— And then you have to go back, right? You have to go back. And then it's, like, kind of humiliating because they made me take this class that teaches you, like, how to eat healthy. And, like, I mean, they were literally holding up plastic food. Like, this is a portion of potatoes. Like, this—and I was just like, what am I doing here? And— Because Jen is the healthiest eater. Like, right before this, I was trying to feed her a Powerball, (laughs) and I'm like, oh, but it's not (laughs) gluten-free. And I tried to offer her, like, a soda, and she's like, no, I have water. I'm good. She's so healthy. Well, it's funny, too, though, because even the stupid gestational diabetes, I tried to look at it as, like, okay, this is a blessing because this is going to motivate me, a.k.a. force me, to eat really healthy for the rest of my pregnancy. At that point where you kind of, like, I don't care anymore. I'm just going to let it go. I'll eat whatever is in sight, go with whatever craving I have. And I, instead— had to check my blood sugar every, oh my gosh, I don't even remember how, five times a day, I think. And then it's like, you have to log it all and you have a little like thing that you take into the doctor and they check it too. So it's like, you can't cheat. So you're pricking your finger? Pricking your finger. Five times a day? Yeah. And take and then taking it into <sighs> the doctor so where they can see what your blood sugar's been. So it's like, you literally can't cheat. And so for me, I was like, okay, I can either be really mad and like feel really like 
grumpy about this or I can just like be like, okay, this is really good motivation to eat really healthy and like make it a game. And that's what I did. Um, so yeah, so just dumb stuff like that made the pregnancy harder. But like in the end, like overall, I really am grateful that my pregnancy wasn't worse. We, my doctor had said, because it's twins, it's considered a high risk pregnancy. So she's like, you can, you can only travel up to 28 weeks where normally, what is it with a normal pregnancy? Like 34 or something or probably depends. 30, you know, after about 32 weeks, I think my my doctor wasn't like thrilled about me going okay. anywhere. So probably yeah. depends on the doctor. It probably too. depends. Yeah. yeah, it was. It also depended on where. But anyway, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. So my doctor said twenty eight weeks. So we had a trip planned where we literally came home the day before I turned twenty eight weeks. And at that point, I was like, okay, now I'm gonna nest. I'm gonna get everything ready. I'm gonna finish doing the nursery. I'm gonna figure out how to take care of these babies. So the next day I went into my 28-week checkup and my doctor was like, I don't know if this is TMI, but like with high-risk pregnancy with mine and with multiples, they check your cervix like every every time you go in and you go in a lot more often, like every two weeks, sometimes every week towards the end. And my cervix was gone basically. And I had an, they, I had an ultrasound to check it every time I would have an ultrasound. And I remember like seeing I remember when I saw the screen knowing that something didn't look right and just being like oh no now what like what happens now and I felt fine I had had contractions that I thought were Braxton Hicks Mm -hmm. and I'm kind of this attitude of like whatever this is just what's supposed to happen I can get through it I'm tough I remember even like going on hikes and being like it's, it's weird with a pregnancy because before like my mentality was always like with working out like you push it you push harder, the pain's good. And then it was hard to learn with this pregnancy, like no pain might not be good, like maybe this am I pushing it too much. And so that was something I had to kind of learn with this pregnancy. And then it was hard to hear from the doctor that like, she said, you know, you're in labor. And I was like, what, this is labor? I, I thought I was fine. I feel fine. I still feel like I can go be active and I still feel like I can do things to get ready for the babies and stuff. But she said, nope, you're going straight to the hospital. And I was still kind of just like, what? Like, I can't go to the hospital. I have so much to do. And you're working, too. Working. Right? I had all these jobs with modeling. You can't really do maternity stuff until you're a certain size because they want you to be, look pretty pregnant. Right. So I had been waiting to get to that size. And I'd finally gotten there and had all these jobs booked. So, and I was excited to do them. I was excited to be able to work. So, you know, I went and to the And you're doing your blog. And I was blogging, yeah. So I went to the hospital and... Yeah. And in my head, I'm like, wait, I have all these blog posts to do. Like, how am I going to shoot them from the hospital? Like, this is not okay. I had to cancel. Luckily, my agents were all really sweet and they like helped me cancel all the jobs that were coming up. And I got to the hospital and just kind of like, I think the hardest part about being at the hospital was just like the unknown of like, how long am I going to be here? Are my babies going to be okay? And then I'm just an active person. So having to sit in this room, I was literally only allowed to get up to go to the bathroom. I could take like quick showers once a day. After I'd been there for a while, I got like wheelchair privileges where I could go outside for half an hour a day. And this is like August. So like, it's like the best time of year here. And I was like, I remember friends coming to visit and being like, oh, you're so lucky you're in here. It's so hot outside. And I was just like, I would kill to be in the sun right now. (laughs) Yeah. So, but Blake and I tried to make the best of it again. Like he would come take me out to like either to watch the sunset. We were lucky to be the hospital that we went to was like really close to the beach. So we would go watch the sunset over the water. We would 
<laughs> there were times I'd have him wheel me outside and I would just like wear like shorts and a t-shirt and like pull my shirt up and like tan my belly. And like <laughs> I probably looked insane, but I was just like, you know what? I feel good if I get some sun on my skin. Like that was just something that made me feel better. So we tried to make the best of that situation. And I remember one of the best things about that was that like I had all these friends come visit me and help me pass the time. And like, I was so grateful for that. I remember you brought us food, which I was so sick of the hospital food. And (laughs) we got some home-cooked meals from Corinne. And just, like, to have the time to sit there and talk to a friend is just, like, with nothing else to distract you. You're stuck in this hospital room. That was, like, I will never forget that. That, like, felt so special to be able to do that during that time. Yeah, that was a gift for you guys. That's really cool. It was, yeah. And I probably brought you really unhealthy food. Oh, but. it was so good. There was some chicken. <laughs> I think it was fried chicken. Fried chicken, yes. <laughs> but it doesn't matter because I still passed my blood test, so okay. couldn't have been that unhealthy. Well, that's good. <laughs> I do remember that you, like, devoured the green beans, and you were like, these are so much better than the green beans that oh, they yeah, have Oh, yeah, like the rubber hospital vegetables to just have, like, fresh vegetables. I was like, yes. <laughs> so funny. So. So how long were you guys in... You were on bed rest. Did you get to, like, leave and come back at times? Um, or was no, it like- so I was just there. Kind of, they told me, so I went in at 28 weeks. They told me, you'll be here until you deliver. We're hoping that we can get to, like, they kind of look at it, looked at it in, like, two-week increments. So they were like, okay, like, 30 weeks is huge. If you can make it to 30, that's huge. 32 is even better. Ideally, we want to get to at least 34. So, like, in my head, I was like, okay, like, I could be here for— six weeks like they said they wouldn't send me home until at least 34 so I'm like okay I'm either here until I deliver these babies or until or for six weeks so so that was like kind of a hard thing to deal with at the time it's funny looking back on it now because I didn't know what was going to come after that and and it seemed so hard to be there on bed rest, but I would have, like, given anything to be back on bed rest once we were in the NICU, you know? So it's just, right. it's all about perspective. Like, it seemed hard at the time, and and now looking back on it, like, it seems silly that it was so hard. But if I talked to somebody who was on bed rest, I would just be like, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. Like, I know how that feels, but at the same time, it's not going to be forever. Like, you'll you'll be okay. And I remember being on bed rest and thinking, like, you know what? I'm here, and this is horrible. I feel really trapped. But at least I'm not here forever. There are people who are here forever, you know? So just, I don't know, if you can think, going back to that, just, like, always try to put a positive spin and, like, find the silver lining, that, like, really helps. That's such a cool perspective. So I wanted to ask you, what what was helpful that people would bring to you? Because I've had more than one friend that— you know, is on bed rest Mm -hmm. in the hospital. And I'm like, do I bring them magazines? Do I bring them like a food's easy, but like food for sure. Hospital food's the worst. (laughs) Honestly, for me, it was just like the friendship and the conversation and the time. Time meant so much to me that someone would come spend time with me because that's all I had. I just had all this empty time. So that was it for me. I I think like it would be different if somebody already had kids, like doing anything you can to help with their kids. Um, We have a dog and we had a family who took our dog for a while, which was really, really helpful. Our hospital also actually let us have the dog with us at times, which was crazy. I could not believe that when I walked (laughs) in. I was like, is this a secret? You're like, wait, how'd you get her in here? So yeah, anything that you could do to help out with for people at home who already have kids, I think would be huge. And another thing that really helped me at that time was talking to other people who um, had been in my situation, which I guess we could skip forward a little bit to where 
Well, okay. So another thing that really helped me at that time was that this NICU doctor came and started talking to me about like, hey, if your babies were born today, this is what they would look like. This is what they would need. This is typical support that they would need. Like this is kind of like prepared me for what would happen. They let me tour the NICU at that hospital, which was huge. And at the time, I didn't know how much that would help me, like, once my babies were born. But I'm so grateful for that. So that was really, really helpful. And then— Because you were, you felt like you got to be a little bit prepared for yes, which what would come. was totally, like, this doctor didn't have to do that. And I don't know if—I don't know if that's common. I don't know if doctors at other hospitals would do that. But I, and he's he's been around for a long time. I think he knows how helpful that is, and that's why he does it. But yeah, so that was really really helpful to just kind of like start preparing for what was coming. So when they checked you in and they started going through, you know, these are kind of the points that we're hoping that you'll hit as far as like how many weeks you were. Did they tell you at that time like? Okay, even if they were born today, they'll be okay. Or like, did they give you any of like a putting your mind at ease as far as like, this is, this is what we need to have happen? Or were you kind of still like, I'm afraid of the unknown. I have no idea what could happen. I was still really afraid because I think 28 weeks is a pretty scary time to have a baby. It's definitely like, it can be okay. But the longer, I mean, one of the doctors used to joke like, you know, for every day you spend on bed rest, that's two days less in the NICU. But it's also like, and and I saw what he meant by that once we ended up in the NICU, but it's also just the longer they can stay in, the better. There's so much that happens between 28 and 30 weeks. And so I think before I hit 30 weeks, it was very scary. Nobody was really telling me like, this is like, this is really bad, but I could just tell from the way people were like dealing with me and how hard they were trying to keep these babies in. I should probably say that when I got to the hospital, um, at 28 weeks, it was a very like mad rush to like, they immediately put me on magnesium, which have you ever been, have you ever had to have magnesium? I, can't I don't remember. think so. So for anyone who's had it, you know how it feels, but it literally feels like you're like burning from the inside out. It numbs your whole body. So you can't walk. Like I used to have to have, um, I couldn't even get up to go to the bathroom. They wouldn't let me have any water because they were giving me an IV of fluid. So it was just like this horrible, it's almost like you feel like you're being tortured. But then the scary thing at the same time too, is that like, while it like makes me so like kind of lethargic, I could tell it did the same thing to the babies because mm-hmm. they I they couldn't feel them move. moving anymore. And so it's just yeah. like all really scary. And so we finally got to the part where like they used the magnesium to stop the labor and the labor had finally slowed. And then things were just kind of more like, okay, hold still. We'll just keep this, keep everything mellow. And so I knew it would be really bad if they were born right then. I knew that there was a lot higher chance of like long-term disabilities or if effects with the babies, but I didn't fully know. And I guess like, kind of like, I should say that like, I'm kind of glad that there were some things I didn't know because it would have been a lot harder to handle. Maybe more stressful. Yes. Yeah. And how was Blake during all of this? What was that like for him? He was, I felt bad for him because he was torn between trying to work and be at the hospital with me and like, take care of things at home and I mean as much as it sucks to be the person like sitting in the hospital bed like it probably sucks more to be the person sleeping on the like vinyl bench (laughs) you know like yeah so like a um, sad excuse for a bed yeah yeah but he was so supportive and like positive and definitely like we got a lot closer during that time 
So that's really cool. But you guys don't have family here. No. So that was another weird thing is that like we didn't have family here and we knew we wouldn't. But just being in that situation made me like wish we did. But that was what was so cool to see. Like I kept saying like I don't know what I did to deserve the friends that we have. But like I hope someday I can I can be that kind of friend because our friends really stepped in and like became our family. So that was really well. Cool I know experience. what you did. You're just such a good friend. That's, oh gosh, that's why. No, <laughs> really. Right. And I I don't know that we explained this very well in the beginning of the podcast, but Jen and I are super good friends. Like she was in my wedding and I was in her. Yeah, I think I cried more at your wedding than <laughs> you did. Like I just, it was such a beautiful day, and I was so happy oh, for you. Thanks. But yeah. I have always been amazed by Jen's friendships. She just makes—she's the type of person that makes friends anywhere she goes in, like, two seconds. And oh, that's really nice of you. People really love her, but it's because she is a good friend to other people. So that's—that is no mystery to me. No, oh, thank you. But um, anyway, okay, so, yeah, let's go to that point where you guys get to leave for a minute. Okay, so, yeah, the day we left. So— the doctor who had been seeing me went on vacation. His partner came in and said to me, and all along they'd said, you're not going home, you're not going home. And he came in and checked me and said, do you want to go home today? And that day I was 30 weeks, and I just said, yes. Yes, yes, I want to go home. I promise I'll stay in bed. They sent me home with a medication that that I could continue to, like, slow my labor or whatever. Because you're thinking, I can sit in bed at home just as well right. as I can sit in bed here. Right, exactly. And so, so I went home. And this is a hard point, and I think it would be—it's hard not to look back and say, like, what if? I've had people be like, are you so mad at that doctor that sent you home? Um, I feel a lot of guilt because, you know, I went home. I remember it was a really, really hot day. I didn't do much, but just like the movement of like packing up, getting in the car, going home, getting settled in at home, that was a lot more than I had in the last couple weeks. And that night that I was home, I started to feel like um, back labor, which I'd had contractions and I knew what contractions felt like, but all of a sudden my back hurt really bad. And I thought, oh my gosh, I think this is what people say is like, back labor. Mm-hmm. And so I remember I went and laid in bed and I was like, I'm literally not going to move. I'm just going to lay here. It's going to be fine. It's going to go away. I'll sleep in my bed one night. Because I had the medication that they would have given me at the hospital anyways. I thought I'll sleep in my bed one night and I'll just go back to the hospital in the morning. I'll, they'll probably put me back on bed rest, but it'll be fine. So I wake up in the morning and I think, okay, like I'm going to eat breakfast. I'm going to take a shower. I'm going to shave my legs. Like I'm going to like feel good. And then I'll go back to the hospital. They might put me back on magnesium and I'll be there for another four weeks or whatever. That's what I was thinking that whole time. I mean, now looking back, it sounds really stupid as I'm like saying it out loud, but. It doesn't sound stupid (laughs) at all. It sounds human. It sounds like anything any woman would want. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) And my sister actually randomly, my older sister ended up being in town. She was headed to Palm Springs for a bachelorette weekend and um, had planned to come and stay with me for a day. And so she happened to be there that night. And sh- and so she was kind of like, you know what? I think you need to like hurry a little bit more. I think you need to get back to the hospital now. And so I was like, okay, geez, I'm going, you know. <laughs> and by the time I got in the car, I was full on like having these horrible contractions. And I was just like, oh my gosh, this is bad. I think I knew it was bad in the car on the way to the hospital. And when I got to the hospital, the nurses kind of saw me again. And they're like, oh, hello again. And and. 
when I was checking in, they're like, why are you here? And I said, I think I'm in labor. And they were like, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, no, like, I really think I'm in labor. And I started crying because I think that's when it hit me that like, things might not be okay. Mm -hmm. So they immediately put me back on magnesium. The nurse checked me and her face was just like, I mean, she told me I was dilated to a full 10. (gasps) Oh my gosh. um, She's like, we need to get these babies out now. They put me in the OR. I mean, we left our house at like 1030. Both babies were out by 1120. It was the fastest thing. They didn't even have time to admit me to the hospital before. Like I, I had to like fill out paperwork when I was in recovery. Like they didn't even like check me in. They were just like, we got to get these babies out now. And so, yeah, the babies were born at 1119 and 1120. <laughs> Sorry, it's just hard to think about. Um, that whole process has just happened so fast. And um, I think that's one of the hardest things for me is like I'd always had this vision of like this perfect birth story. And I didn't get that. But I feel so lucky that I, you know, my babies are OK now. But, yeah, I don't think about that day that often. So it's weird to think about. But um that both babies were born a minute apart. The doctor told me, you know, like, if you don't hear the babies cry, don't worry. They might not cry. That's normal at this age. But, like, in my head, I was like, okay, I'm not going to get my my perfect birth. But, like, I want to hear them cry. And I just kept praying, like, please, like, just let them cry. And they both cried. Like, this, like, really, like, strong cry, both of them. And that was, like, the best thing I'd ever heard. And they took them right away and started working on them. And before they wheeled them off to the NICU, they let me kind of just, like, look at them really quick. And so I got to see their faces for a second. And then, you know, they went to the NICU. Blake went with them. I felt bad for him because he was kind of like, oh, what do I do? And I was like, go with them. Like, go. go. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And then they were three—everyone always asks how big they are. So they were three pounds, two ounces, and three pounds, one ounce, um, which is pretty good size for twins born at 30 weeks. They were born at 30 weeks in one day. And yeah, that's when our like NICU journey started. Well, so how did that feel for you? Like as they were rushed off, were you like, okay, they cried, they're going to be okay? Did you, like, what were your emotions in that moment? It's funny because... We have some pictures from when I was in the OR and I'm like smiling and laughing. And I was like, Blake, like what? Like, what? He's like, yeah, you were cracking jokes with people. You were. And so it's funny because I think like it was such a traumatic experience, but that's just how I deal with things like that. Mm-hmm. And and you never think you'd be like laughing in that situation. But I, I guess I was. I think after they were born, I had so much confidence in the doctors because I built a relationship with them before I had the babies. That helped a lot. Uh, we were really, really lucky with, like, the doctors and the nurses that we had. The doctor that—I had the same doctor with my last delivery yes. that you had, and she's amazing. She's amazing. So yeah. I do think that, like, makes such a difference having people that you have a ton of confidence in. It's huge. I've never been through what you've been through. No, but, just, but it's huge. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, that's where our, like, whole NICU journey started, and I got— sent off to recovery and there were just little things that people did that were so kind like I remember them being like hey I was still on the the bed with wheels I don't know what you call it the Mm -hmm. yeah and so they were like hey before we take you the gurney yeah Yeah. they're like before we take you to your room we're gonna take you to the NICU because once they took me to my room I wouldn't be able to like go again for a while right so they wheeled me from recovery to the NICU and I got to like, they wheeled the bed right up alongside the baby's isolates and I got to see them for a second. And um, so, 
you know, I at least got to see them then. But then we went back to our room and I didn't get to see them that whole rest of the day because they were working on them, which is another long story. But so I didn't get to see them the whole rest of the day. And then I got to go see them again that night. And there were also things like I try not to focus on the negative, but there were things that I like, like the girl who had the, um, there was a girl that kept coming in asking us what we were going to name the babies, like over and over again, really pressuring us to pick names. And I was just like, dang, can you get this girl out of here? Like, I haven't gotten to like see my babies much yet. Like, I don't know what their names are. Like, such little things like that, that I wish there were more awareness around. But then like overall, I feel like people were really like aware. So yeah, maybe that's one thing I would say is like, don't, don't pressure someone to name their baby when they're in the NICU. <laughs> when they've only seen them for th- 10 seconds. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But we did name them that night when we went, we went into the NICU. And it was funny because I had been so sure that, so their names are Romy and Piper, Romy, Jean and Piper James. And I had been so, so sure that baby B was Romy and baby A was Piper. Like, and Blake was just like not convinced. And I kind of thought it was because he wasn't sure about the names. But when we went to the NICU that night, he said, hey, is there any way we can just, like, switch them for a second and see how it feels? And I was like, okay, fine. So we switched them, and, like, instantly we were both like, yes, this is this is it. This is what it's supposed to be. And so baby A became Romy Jean. Baby B became Piper James. And I could not imagine it, like, any other way now. So So with the baby A and B, that's fascinating to me. I'm curious how, like— Was that only a thing when you guys looked at an ultrasound or was that a thing also like when they were in your belly, you knew like? I knew I was able to tell like where they were because they didn't, once you get to a certain point, like you kind of know where they are. And so it was, I was always like, okay, this is baby A, this is baby B. It's so crazy now looking back on ultrasounds because we had so many ultrasounds, like they had their personalities that they have now when they're in my stomach. Like, really? It's so crazy. Yeah. Like, like it, I just can't, it's crazy. People just are who they are. But yeah, they, so all along I knew like baby A and baby B. Baby A is always the one that's going to come out first. That's how they do it with twins. So then we're, we're in the NICU, not really knowing how long we're going to be there. The beginning was really scary. There were some really scary things that happened in the beginning. But like I said before, like the doctors and nurses were so amazing. I remember one doctor in particular, like the first day we were there, he said like, hey, I want you to know, like I would never wish the NICU on anybody, but this is going to change you. Like this is going to make you stronger people. This is going to make you stronger as a couple. And that really stuck with me. Then I found out, which this is something that I would tell people who end up in the NICU because I didn't know this. And somebody told me, and I was really happy about it, that a lot of hospitals have a program where you can pick, our hospital called it primary nurses. The other hospital we ended up back called them associates, but you can pick a nurse that is your nurse whenever they're working. So we were able to pick two for day shift and two for night shift. And that just completely made our experience so much better than it would have been because we were able to like really trust these people and build relationships with them. And it felt like they loved our babies Oh, I, it sounds weird, but just as much as we no, did, almost. That you doesn't know? sound weird. That it just sounds like they're like family. They were, and they still are. We've stayed in like really good touch with them. So, yeah, we had like one day Piper had a really bad day, and we weren't allowed to see her. And I found out that night that her nurse had literally not sat down for like twelve hours. She had stood next to Piper for that long, and like just hearing something like that, like when I couldn't be there for Piper, that somebody would care that much. Um, really meant a lot, you know? So that's beautiful. (laughs) So during this time, like I've, I've always been curious too, like for a NICU mom, 
how much time goes by when you're recovering to when you get to be there with them? And then when do you have to go home and like be okay with this is the first night that we're not in the same building? Yeah, that's that that was really tough. So because I had a C-section, the longest that they would let me stay at the hospital was five days. So I didn't know. And someone had said to me, and I'm glad that they did because it kind of prepared me a little bit, but I didn't know how hard it would be the day that I went home. And that was one of the hardest days. I actually wrote a post in case anyone wants to read it about like the hardest days in the NICU. And that was one of the very hardest was when I had to leave because our NICU that we were in in the beginning wasn't private. So like there was no way I could sleep there. They wouldn't let you sleep there. And you could you could go sit next to your baby's bed, but if you fell asleep like you were gonna sleep for the night, they would like kick you out. So it, I didn't have that option. So it was really really hard to leave the babies. I'm still recovering from surgery, which I'd never had surgery before, and that was kind of gnarly. And so I remember that day was like really really hard. But there were a few things that people had said that made it easier. Like my sister had like stocked our freezer with meals. She'd cleaned our entire house. She'd gone and bought me all these things I didn't have time to plan for when I was pregnant, like nursing bras and things like that. Blake was really sweet. Blake's my husband. I don't know if I said that yet. You Blake did, had, yeah. Okay. Blake had, um, he like printed these pictures and made this cute little thing to hang up by the girl's isolates in the NICU. It was like a picture of us, a picture of their nursery, a picture of our dog. He wrote them sweet things. And so people did things to make it easier. And I was really grateful for that. So if you know someone in the NICU, I think it's important to know that that is a really, really hard day for them and whatever you can do to be supportive on that day. Some other hard days in the NICU are my due date. My due date was really hard because I always thought like we'd make it home before my due date and we didn't. And that was kind of something that like at that point I felt like something was being taken away from me. Like before that I could be like, okay, they would have been in my belly anyways, but now this is time I should have had at home with them past my due date. So that was a really hard day. That was like a loss for you. That was a big loss for me. Yeah. They say the NICU is a roller coaster and you take like two steps forward and one step back. And it's so true. And that's actually something that helped to think of because there were some big steps back that felt like really, you know, we thought things are going well, things are going well. And then something would happen and it was just like so hard to handle. I remember one night we thought everything was fine relatively fine. We thought we were past the worst part when we walked into the NICU and they wouldn't let us go in and they wouldn't let us see Piper. And that was really, really hard to be feel so like powerless and also just to have been thinking we were in the clear and find out we weren't. And, you know, but at the end of the day, like she ended up being okay. So for someone who doesn't know anything about the NICU other than just a couple of visits that I made to yeah. you guys. What What's the purpose of that? Like, why would they not let a mom? I don't even know. I mean, I still, that is something that I struggle with. I understand if they're working on your baby, like that you can't be there because there's some things they don't want you to see. They don't want you to freak out. I think maybe they have to have that like in place for like moms who wouldn't be able to handle it. But, you know, there was one doctor who, um, Piper ended up having chest tubes on both sides. And one doctor one night was like, hey, I'm going to remove Piper's chest tube, which was a really big deal for us. It was a really big milestone to be able to not have her reliant on that chest tube. And he said, hey, I'm going to like remove her chest tube. And so I'm thinking, oh, he's going to make a sleeve. And he said, do you want to watch? And that like meant so much to me because I was like, it's hard to feel like you're their mom in that situation, you know, and to have him like let me be a part of that. Like, yeah, it's hard to watch 
something that hurts your baby. And they had to like put her on some medication to make her like not feel it. And that it's hard to see that, but it's also like, hey, like, thanks for making me feel like I'm a part of this, you know? Right. <laughs> well, that's interesting. I mean, on a really small scale with just, I guess, to make it relatable to the simpleton like me, <laughs> when I've gone in for, I've had C-sections with all of my babies. And with number two, I learned um, because with our first baby, Neil, Neil knew the hospital staff because he was in medical device cells. So when we went in to do the C-section, they just let him go wherever he wanted. Right. He put scrubs on. He, like, That's was awesome. chit-chatting with the doctors. Second baby, Lila, was born out here. So they, like, kick him out when when they did my spinal block. And they, you know, there were all these places where they wouldn't let him go. Yeah. And I was like, what is happening? And then I came to find out, oh, it's because there are dads who, like, will pass out and yeah. who can't yeah, yeah, handle yeah. seeing a huge totally, needle. Yeah. And so then finally with Millie, I was able to tell the doc, like, way ahead of time, listen, my husband stood in surgery for 10 years. Yeah, like, he'll be he's fine. He's not going to freak out. He's not going to pass out. Mm-hmm. He likes to watch the whole thing. Like, he's, <laughs> none of this freaks him out. So, you know, Which is so I just funny because I remember telling Blake, like, do not look. Like, do not look. Really? Because if you if I have to see your face after you've looked, like. Oh, that's so but, funny. But, I mean, Neil's totally, like. Well, the first time he was like, okay, now they're doing this. Now they're doing, I was like, nope, I don't want to play by play. I don't want to know anything. I just want to know that everything's okay. Yeah. Nothing else beyond that. No details. So funny. So we've learned, but I do think to, to your point that some of these precautions are probably set up for worst case scenario to try to protect people. Yeah, totally. I totally agree with that. And, you know, there were some things that were like, yeah, I understand why these rules have to be in place. I don't want to get anyone in trouble, so I won't say any names, but there was... So we were in the NICU for a really long time, I guess I should say. We were there for three months to the day, and we didn't expect to be there that long. So the babies were born September 7th, and we were always like, okay, like normal, things like they were doing well. Once we got past the scary beginning, like we'll be home by Halloween. Did they give you like a... They will not tell you... They will not tell you when your baby will go home. And I understand why they do that because if they gave us a day, we would fixate on that day. And like, they would say little things like, this is typical, this is normal. So based on those things, we thought our babies will be home by Halloween, for sure by Halloween. Okay. Halloween came. They weren't ready to go home. We like dressed them up in the NICU, tried to have fun with it, like... So cute. The <laughs> cutest little baby costumes I've ever seen in my life. They were pretty cute. We got our uh, costumes from Build-A-Bear because the babies were so tiny at that point. And then we'll put some of these pictures and stuff in the show notes so people okay, can yeah, see. Okay, yeah, yeah. That'd be good. So then we thought, okay, for sure they'll be home by Thanksgiving. Like, for sure they'll be home by Thanksgiving. But we won't be ready to travel. So I, like, invited my whole family into town for Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving came, and they, like, weren't ready to come home. Well, I'm super close to my nieces and nephew, and I thought that that would be the time that they would get to meet the babies. And children aren't allowed in the NICU unless they're siblings. So I was just like, look, is there, like, any way that my babies can, like, meet my niece and nephew? And they said no. Anyways, there was one nurse who made it happen. (laughs) They didn't get to touch them. They didn't get to hold them. But they at least got to, like, we found a way to get them all in the same room. And just that little gesture of her doing that for me. And it wasn't anything that was dangerous for the babies. It was just like, this is hospital policy. And and that mo- I will never forget when my niece and nephew got to see the babies. Like, it was just like the most special thing. So I think like rules are important, but it's so nice to have people who understand like, I don't know, it goes back to like the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. Like 
sometimes you just got to like do what's right for people, you know, and that was one of those times. And just feeling like someone was willing to just look at you guys and and care about you and and do something that meant a lot to you. Yeah. And one of the things that made me feel so much better in the NICU is when I had a nurse who did things that still she tried to make me feel like I was still the mom because that was one of the hardest parts about being there is you don't feel like you can do anything for your baby like you know for a long time I couldn't touch them I couldn't hold them and so it's really hard to feel like you're doing anything to help your baby and so there were nurses who understood that and like helped me with that a lot and I like will never forget that so and I remember too like breastfeeding and pumping and all of that was like really challenging too as far as like yeah being able to get them the nutrition they needed and then you were trying to pump and it was this whole thing with yeah that was that was a really big thing I had to pump exclusively for a long time because they couldn't they couldn't eat and they were just being fed through like feeding tubes and like IVs so I had to like try to get my milk supply up and figure out how to pump and then I was pumping like pumping really often so I like even at night I have to like go home and like set my alarm to pump and like I'd wake up to pump but like my babies weren't there it's so hard so um but it's you know they like really pressure you to get that breast milk and it is really important for the babies to have it and um so it's just something you do (laughs) but I would but a mom that hasn't been through this would never even imagine like having to set an alarm and be at home without your babies yes and then have to like pump in the middle of the night because didn't you say that that was one thing that some people would say to you like at least you don't have to get up in the middle of the night oh my gosh yes <laughs> biggest thing to not say to somebody in the NICU for me anyways was and but before I say this if anybody did say anything that I'm about to say to me I don't specifically remember the person who said it to me and I'm like mad at them like it's not like <laughs> it's just like something that I remember a lot of people would say to me and so I don't hold any personal like <laughs> grudges about it but like because I know people don't know what to say, and who knows what I've said to people before going through this experience, right. you know. But People mean well. Yeah, always. but there were definitely—they do, for sure. There were definitely some things that people said to me that were really hard to hear. One of them, probably the biggest one, was, you're so lucky that you have somebody to take care of your baby so you can sleep at night. And another thing that people would say is, like, oh, well, like, you think you're tired. Now wait till you bring these babies home. And that terrified me because I was like, I've never been more exhausted in my life. I feel so drained and I don't even have my babies home. Is that true? Like once I get my babies home, is it going to be worse than this? And I just want to say if anybody who's in the NICU happens to listen to this, like it is so much better when you bring your baby home. Like I slept for the first time in months when I brought my babies home because you don't sleep when you're, you're, you know, however many miles away from your baby and and getting up to pump. And um, and so I just want to say, like, for me, it got much better when I had the babies at home. The hospital was definitely, like, the hardest part. And, you know, that's another silver lining of being in the NICU that we found is that all of the things that happened to us made everything seem so much better once we got home. Like, diaper changes. Like, I love changing the baby's diapers because that's the only thing we were allowed to do for a long time in the NICU was change their diapers and take their temperature and like every three hours or whatever. Yeah, every three hours. So that was like such a positive experience for us and it stayed that way. And so like we've been so grateful for every single thing we've gotten to do with them since we've been home because of the experience we had where there was a long period of time we couldn't do those things, you know? So like to be home and have my baby wake up in the middle of the night, it was like so amazing that like they were there with me, you know? Right. And it was in your home. Yeah. And felt like the way it 
that you had pictured it and the way you wanted yeah. it to be. Another thing that people said to me that I really, like, resented was they would say, like, oh, you're so lucky you had them before you got stretch marks. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Wait. <laughs> wait. Like, I would give anything to have a—I would have a million stretch marks if it meant that my babies got to, you know— grow inside of me longer like that was something you shouldn't say and another thing is like people would always be like oh I don't know how you do it I couldn't do it and I would just get so mad because I'd be like you think I have a choice you think I chose to do it like right I was kind of like no I you do it because you have to like I didn't choose this you know and right. I think that that's a hard thing to hear because there was a lot of guilt of like if there were things that I could have done to prevent how early I had the babies and I, you know they tell you it's not your fault but you still feel like what if I had done this or you know whatever so yeah those are some things that I I wouldn't say so what what things helped and I'm sure I've said probably I probably not the stretch mark thing but I'm no. sure I said those other things too I know I've said well, to people before I think... oh I don't know how you're doing this I'm sure I'm certain I have well and that's where everyone's different because like Th those are just the things that affected me. But mm -hmm. it also mattered who was saying it and, like, the place it was coming from. Um, right. I actually, like, I know you'll probably get embarrassed, but I think that you were one of the people who actually was really intuitive to know what I needed as far as, like, once we were in the NICU. Because some of the things that I would list as things you could do to help someone in the NICU, you, you did a lot of them. Like, meals are huge. Home-cooked meals. You brought us home-cooked meals. Like, I remember you offered to, like, send a house cleaner to my house. And uh, one thing I hadn't even thought of that you did is you brought over, like, a bunch of, like, immunity booster things. Like, things that would help us not get sick. Which is huge because if you get sick in the NICU, you can't go see your baby. Like, if you catch a cold, it was, like, cold and flu season when we, when we were there. And so, like... Those are all things that I would say are really, really helpful. We were, there's an hour of shift change for the nurses when from like, it was like 6.30 to 7.30 when we couldn't be in the, we couldn't be with the girls. So we literally had an hour to like go home, let the dog out, eat our dinner. And I really, really appreciated the people who like would just drop food off and then they didn't expect to eat with us. It was just like, here's your food. Anything else I can do, okay, bye. Because then we could just eat our food really quick, do the mm -hmm. things we needed to do, and go back to the hospital, you know? So that was really huge. Another thing, like cleaning the house, doing yard work. Like I said before, if someone has other kids or pets, if you can, like, take that off their plate, like maybe take their kids to do something fun to where they don't have to stress or worry or feel guilty that they're not with them, I think that's, like, huge. We had a family who would, like, come take our dog a lot, and that was, like, really helpful. I think it's helpful just to, like, check in and ask how people are doing I think it's also helpful to say, like, hey, like, you don't have to respond to me if you don't have time. Mm -hmm. Because that was the other thing is, like, you can't really be on your phone in the NICU. You can't have food in there with you. You're kind of just sitting there and, like, time just kind of passes. And, like, it's nice to have people checking in. And it's also nice to not feel like you have to respond to them. I was really selective about the people that I let come see the babies. And kind of looking back now, I wish— when I did let people come see the babies, it was really nice because it made it feel like they really were real, like they really existed and they were going to be a part of my life instead of just like this weird thing that's like exists in the hospital and not outside of it, you know. So but the people who did come visit, it was like really, really helpful when they were there. And I know like you came a bunch and just like when I would like see one of my good friends like holding my baby, which... Only a few people did, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. It was just, like, 
okay, this feels like normal life. Like, I feel like we could be sitting on Corinne's couch and like, that's how it's going to be someday, you know? So that was like really, really helpful. Another thing that helped me a lot. Oh, another thing I want to say. And again, I don't, I don't have anyone specific. I'm thinking, okay, maybe I do have a couple of people, (laughs) but if you go visit a baby in the NICU, there are things that you should be like, really, there's like NICU etiquette and it could be different for different NICUs, but across the board, it is the most germ-free zone, like wash your hands, wash your hands, wash your hands. Even like maybe if you use your phone, like clean your phone off, like just having the awareness to do that would mean so much to a parent. If you're sick at all. I never think of that. (laughs) There you go. Clean your phone off. Um, Turn your phone off, like at least turn the sound off because you shouldn't be talking on your phone. You don't want it going off, especially because our situation was like an open NICU. So you don't want to like disturb the other parents. And ask what the baby's schedule is because schedules are so important, especially when a baby's trying to, like, get stronger and grow. Like, you know, make sure you come at a time when is good for the baby's schedule and, like, ask that. That's, like, really important. That's huge. I also would never think to ask that. <laughs> yeah. But, like, schedules are so important once you're home. Yeah. It's even more important in the NICU. Of course they're important there. That makes sense. And I remember there were a couple of times that someone came and I felt like it was throwing the babies off. And, like, to us, like, the babies were trying to, like— get strength and like come home. So it was like, if that put us further back, like then I didn't want anyone there, you know? So that's part of the reason why I didn't have a lot of people come. But yeah, so I would just say there's like definite NICU etiquette and any, if you don't know what it is, just ask, be like, hey, is there anything you want me to know before I come in? Because I remember there'd be like these awkward moments where like someone would come and then they'd like start talking on their phone. And I, I hated to have to be the person like, hey, like you, you can't be on your phone in here. And then you also feel like the stress of like, like I said before, I'm like a people pleaser. So I'm like, mm-hmm. I want everyone in the NICU to like me because I want them to like my babies. It's just like this right. weird, like, I don't know. There's That's like not weird, weird politics and like weird. And so, yeah, just just ask. just And try to be so self-aware when you go in the NICU. And then another thing that really helped me, and I don't know if this helps everyone, but it really, really helped me, is hearing other people's like success stories of like, hey, I was where you're at. It's okay now. And I... And I know that not all stories end that way in the NICU, but I do think that, like, for me, that was huge. I remember one day I was in the NICU having, like, a particularly hard day, and one of my nurses was like, hey, there's somebody I want you to meet. And this mom had come back to visit, and she had this, like, I'm going to cry talking about it. She had this six-month-old baby boy, and I remember it so well. His name was Mickey, and he was just, like, this, like, chubby, healthy baby, like, looked totally normal, like— totally healthy and the biggest smile, like smiliest baby ever. And her baby had been where my babies were at. And to see that and be like, oh, this could be what my life is like in six months. So this could be what my baby's like in six months. It was just like the biggest gift for me. And like, we just hugged, we both cried. Like I cried out of like, just gratefulness that she was there. She cried out of like, hey, I know where you're at. I was there too. Like, and it was just like, that moment was like huge for me. And so since then, like, one of my goals coming out of this has just been, you know, like, I want to share my story and talk about, like, you know, I can talk about how bad it was for my babies because of how well they're doing now. And I really want to help people who that might help who are in that situation. And, you know, at one point, our doctors asked us, like, when we first got there, he said, you know, like, or he told us, he said, you can ask me anything. You can ask me any question about your baby. No question's a stupid question. He said, nothing's off the table. Like, you can even ask me, like, could my baby die? And I remember when he said that, just thinking, like, just being silent and being like, I'm not going to ask because I don't want to know. Like, I wasn't ready to know at that point. But now I know that, like, 
my babies could have died. And one of them almost did, you know, and, and so to come from like such a low place and then to have, my babies are so healthy now and they are just beautiful and you would (laughs) never, ever see them playing in the playground or at the beach and be like, oh, those babies look like they were born early. I mean, they're just beautiful. They're perfect. And so I just think there's so much hope to be found in like hearing stories like that. And so, and I've actually had a lot of people as I've shared my story on social media and on the blog, like have had people write me the sweetest messages of like, you know, this has really helped me or I'm pregnant with twins and I'm following your story. It's giving me so much hope or I'm on bed rest or, and that like means so much to me and makes me want to like keep sharing our story. So, so yeah, other people's success stories like really, really helped me. So that's really cool. I wonder too, if we should maybe cut out the part of what I just barely said, because maybe that would hurt someone's feelings if they felt like their kid, if they had a baby or a child that did like no. Okay. So maybe we could talk about that a little bit. Okay. You know so, what I mean? Like, no, I, I maybe that's fine. an insensitive thing to say. I don't know. I, as we can I was totally saying like it, address like, that oh, though. Maybe that's okay. So your babies, when I look at them, I'm like, you would never be able to tell from just looking at them that they were born early. But like, what, what's the etiquette with that? Like what? Yeah. Educate me on like what that's like for moms who've had babies in the NICU. Is that something that they all worry about? Yeah. And it is. And and even when I take them back to, like, therapy appointments and, you know, ba- there's so many babies who are in different places or who have, like, life lifelong things that they have to deal with because of being born early. And, you know, one thing that I think about probably, like, every day of my life is, like, there's just a certain guilt with, like, the fact that my babies made it and a lot of people's don't. And that's something that has been really hard for me to deal with. And, oh, that even sounds weird saying it out loud because it's, like, oh, I'm sorry, that's hard for you to deal with. Like, your baby's made it, you know? And so it's something that I think about a lot. And I actually had heard about this mom in the NICU who had a very similar story to mine. And, you know, there was one night where her baby, she thought he was in the clear. He was about a month old. And she had, you know, gone home for dinner during shift change, same as me and, like, same as I used to do, and had showed back up and her baby wasn't doing well. Really similar to a night that we had with Piper that I was talking about. And the difference is that her baby passed away that night. And I'd heard that story. And then I actually ended up meeting her at an event and instantly knew who she was and was like, oh, my gosh, how am I going to talk to her? Like, I just felt so guilty. And like, our babies were, we even had the same, like, primary nurses. We had the same doctors. Like, it was just this fluke that, like, her baby died and mine didn't. And and she was at the she was in the NICU at the same time. Same hospital. Okay. Um, years before me. Oh, okay. So, sorry. Yeah, same hospital years before me. And so I ended up, but, so I had heard about her from, like, my nurses because, you know, we'd had really similar stories. And so I met her in an ev- at an event, and she was the sweetest, like, most gracious, like, genuinely so happy for me that my babies were doing well. So excited to learn about them. Like, so, I just, I can't even describe, like, what an amazing person she was and that I could tell that within like minutes of meeting her. And, you know, we like, we both cried, we hugged, like it was. And so it just like showed me like, I just really want to be like that type of person that can be like genuinely happy for people. Like, so for for me now, like, you know, I talked about the birth story earlier when I see somebody that has this amazing birth story where like they have like a natural birth and they get to like put the baby on their chest and then they have this amazing experience breastfeeding and 
you know, I genuinely feel happy for people. Like, I've gotten to a point where, like, I don't feel jealous. I feel genuinely happy for them. And so, you know, that's not the same thing as, like, having a baby pass away. But I do think that, like, I learned so much from her and just, like, her attitude. That's, like, personal development. That's, like, why we're here is to learn from hard things. Going back to the very first thing that you said, you looked at all of this as, okay, we're— we we're given certain things in life to become better. Otherwise, we're just all like, I mean, yeah. What's the point of being on Earth if we're just gonna like float on a cloud and like eat marshmallows no, all day right. and not yeah. ever do anything hard? You yeah. Know? So no, this is totally somebody right. else who's what you were saying makes so much sense to me that someone else's trial, you know, the things that she learned from that helped you, and that's hopefully the point of all the hard things that we go through is that we become better and, you know, one step above that is if we can help other people too. Yes. Yeah. And something that I wanted to mention because it's something that I've recently been like studying and it's helped me a little bit is that they recently, they did, Stanford did a study of like PTSD for parents who have had children with illnesses or traumatic events. And they specifically did a study on parents who have had children in the NICU and found that it's like the majority of parents do suffer from PTSD and in different ways, you know, but in ways that impair the, their like functioning. And so that's been really validating for me to learn about. And also something that like, I think is important to share because there's so much focus on like the babies and Of course, that's like all you care about in the moment. And you're kind of like, I mean, I was just like at the hospital for my babies for three months. I didn't do hardly anything for myself, you know, like Mm -hmm. it was all about them. And you kind of just like push all the thoughts away and you think like, okay, everything just needs to be about the baby right now. And then when you go home, you kind of think like, okay, I left the hospital. Everything should be fine. But it's not, you know, there are times when I still struggled a lot after taking the babies home. And and part of that is the guilt that I felt for like the parents who don't get to leave the hospital with a baby or the kids who never get to leave the hospital. And um, so, and also just like the, like there were some traumatic things that happened that, that like, certain things can like trigger where I'm kind of like back in that place or reliving that event. And, but I feel silly talking about it because like at the end of the day, my babies are healthy. So I just think that it's definitely something worth researching. If, if it's something, if you have had a baby in the NICU and you think you might be experiencing it, it's definitely something to look into. And there's things that you can do to overcome it specifically for us. I've done a lot to, the things that have helped me are that sharing my story helps a lot. Talking about the babies helps a lot. And we've done a lot of work with like Chalk Foundation. One of the hospitals our babies were at was the Children's Hospital of Orange County. And so I've worked with their foundation a lot and fundraising. And then another thing that's helped is just really for us, we try to do a lot with the babies now because we can, like we take them on a lot of like, we always say like we adventure with the babies, but we take them a lot of places and do a lot of things with them that people are like, oh my gosh, why would you do that with babies? Or, And we're like, because we can, because this is like how we heal. And this is like how we like show how grateful we are to be out of the hospitals. Like we just try to take advantage of the fact that like we can go do these things now because for a long time we couldn't, you know, we were in the hospital for three months and then I kept the babies home for a long time because I was so worried about germs and like they were still so fragile and little. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it was a lot of months of just being inside with these babies. And now we're just like, we love to get out with them. And so those are some ways that like I've dealt with, dealt with that like PTSD side of things. But like, I think that that's something worth mentioning if 
you know, there's therapists that are specifically trained in that now, and it's worth looking into if you're struggling. Okay. that's So tell me about what it was like taking them home and, like, getting that news. Because, <laughs> you know, a lot of this has been like, oh, my gosh, yeah. then this happened. Yeah. Then that happened, and that was terrible. Like, tell us, like, walk us through, like, how— that felt. It was pretty surreal. So we actually switched hospitals because our babies needed certain care that they decided it would be better for them to be at a different hospital. So we switched hospitals. We're at this new hospital. And was that like really frustrating when you switched hospitals? I think that's like in my hardest days in the NICU, that's probably like my second hardest day in the NICU because we had grown so close to our hospital. We loved the people at our hospital. And like, I honestly would have been sad to leave those people because I'd spent all day every day with those people for months and I would have been sad to leave them to go home, but to leave them to go to another hospital that I didn't want to be at was like horrible. Yeah. And but it was really cool because at this new hospital, I just have to give a shout out to my nurses because I had my four primary nurses at our first hospital. And then at the new hospital, you could pick four people that are allowed to come see your baby when you're not there. Usually people pick family. We didn't have family here. So I picked my four nurses from my previous hospital and every single one of them came to see the babies. And just to have them there advocating for me and like, it was, that was so special. So, but yeah, we switched hospitals. That was really hard, but also we ended up working with this amazing feeding therapist there who just like, I mean, the second she started working with the babies, I saw a difference. And it was such a, like, she was such a light of like, there's hope we're going to go home soon, you know? And all along in our stay in the NICU, they always said, your babies will not go home on the same day. We want to prepare you that at some point you're going to take one baby home and then it's going to be hard because you're going to be shuttling back and forth. Like Mm -hmm. you'll have one baby at home, you'll have one baby in the hospital. And they'd always told us that, like everyone had told us that. So we were kind of like worried, always kind of being like, oh, which baby's going to come home first? And we thought we knew which one was. But it's really funny because the babies ended up coming home on the very same day which is like unheard of. And, you know, that right there was just like a huge blessing and just like something so cool of like, just a twin thing. I think of like, these babies were so connected. They like literally waited for each other. Like they were like waiting for each other to come home at the same time, you know, like, and so sweet. Um, I remember being so excited. I felt like we just all lived that with, we didn't, I don't want to say that and, <laughs> no, and have it sound like offensive, but I know what you mean. But like, I felt like all of, and probably people that didn't know you personally, but me being like just a friend, I felt like I was so invested in like how they were doing every day and what was going on with them. And I felt like I was watching your stories like they were you know, your stories and your Instagram posts, like I just couldn't get enough of the updates of how they were doing and what was going on. And well, that and that seriously meant so much at the time and like, and still does. And, and like, I'm totally biased because they're my babies. But I, I think a lot of people felt like there's something really special about these babies and still feel that way. And they're like hilarious babies. Like, I, I mean, everyone probably thinks that about their babies, but to see the way the babies have like, connected with so many people through their experience and still are has been really amazing and and they've built connections for me too and I just I think they really are amazing little humans and even as horrible as this whole like hospital experience was just to see the way it's like played out in all of our lives and like what the babies are doing now and like it's so funny I always joke with people like because they'll be like oh wow they really just go to anyone or they're like so chill around everyone and I'm I always joke like yeah I don't know if they even know who their mom is which sounds like a sad (laughs) joke but to me it's like I love to say that because I feel like there are so many people who have loved them the way that I've loved them and like 
you know, not all babies are that lucky. And I just feel so blessed for all the people that have cared and loved about them. Like whether it's like you as a friend, whoever, people I don't know watching on social media, like I just, the support has been like amazing. And it makes me really want to like support other people in situations like that, you know? Yeah. I remember having um, a team meeting and I was talking to some of the girls that work for me and somehow your name came up and they were like, oh, I saw that, like, I don't remember if it was Romy or Piper, but, like, you know, maybe it was, like, Piper. Like, I saw that Piper did this and, like, that she's doing, you know, whatever, whatever the update was at the time. And I was like, oh, do you know Jen? And she's like, (laughs) oh, no, I mean, I just follow her because of you. But she was like, but I feel like I know them. So, you know, that was just, I remember, like, we were all so invested in how they were doing and what their milestones were. And yeah, and which, which made a big difference. Like, I felt really supported. And like, I know you've talked about this where, like, you know, when people are praying for you, you feel it. It's you weird. Feel you it. can't really explain it, but, like, you can feel it. And, mm-hmm. like, I felt it. I think the babies felt it. It's just, like, a really cool thing to watch firsthand. And that's one of those things, again, of, like, yeah, being in the hospital is the worst. But, like, there's so many little things that come that you're like, wow, I would have never known this if I hadn't been here. And ha- so. and experienced that firsthand. Yes. Yeah, really feeling yeah. that yeah. The impact of many, many people praying all at once. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, and and just like, you know, every situation that you're in, like I've kind of already mentioned this, but moving hospitals was hard, but then being at that new hospital, it was kind of like a scarier place with much more serious, like, children there with very serious illnesses. And just being there and knowing that we were going to go home and thinking like, you know, I could say my situation right now is bad because it is. I'm stuck in this hospital every day. I have been here for months, but to know that, like, you know, one of our doctors said something that really put things in perspective for me. He said, he was this old guy, super funny. He retired this year. But he said, nobody ever started kindergarten in the NICU. (laughs) And I remembered that every day because I was like, you know what? He's right. Like, this is temporary for me. I'm so lucky that this is temporary. And like, you know, someday I'm going to be sending these babies to kindergarten, you know? So, and from home, not from the hospital. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it just puts everything in perspective, I think. Like, it, it, it all turns out okay, you know? So I still want you to walk us through, like, that day. Oh, sorry. What that okay. was like, no, I cut you off and asked about <laughs> changing hospitals, which yeah. is an important thing to talk about. But I still want to, like, relive that day with yeah. you. So we were so frustrated at that point. We, we got to a point where, like, they just needed to eat a certain amount. Anyone who's in the NICU will know that, like, at the very end, it's just like, okay, if they eat this much in this time frame, they get to go home. So it's literally just about, like, eating their bottles mm-hmm. on their own without a feeding tube. And we had been at that point for a while, and we just kept, like, thinking we were almost there and then, like, falling backwards. And and it, just little things like we had, like, one night we had a nurse that said she couldn't feed him, and I was like— oh my gosh, that just was the wrong nurse. Like if we'd had this other nurse, she would have been able to feed it. So it was just like so frustrating. And every time Blake and I were there, they would eat for us. So it was like, Mm -hmm. then that made me feel even more pressure of I can't leave. And then there was all this pressure of like, okay, well, like my supply is dropping. We're supplementing with formula, but they don't like the formula. So if I could just get my supply up, then they would be able to come home. So it's just like a lot of pressure and stress and frustration. And then um, we finally got to this point where we were like, we actually, that therapist that I said we really like, she really advocated for us and was like, look, these parents know the drill. They know how to feed their babies. They can do it. Like one morning we just like had this meeting with one of the doctors and she was like, "You, they need to take these babies home. And the doctor looked at us and was like, okay, well, like, do you want to take your babies home tomorrow? And we were like, 
yes, yes, we <laughs> want to take them home tomorrow. Like, yes, that's what we want to do. And she said, okay, like, well, why don't you like get ready and you can take the babies home tomorrow? And I was just like, it just felt so surreal. I was like, wait, you're actually like, you're going to let us do this. Like we can walk out of the hospital with these babies. And so I remember our therapist was like, go on a date tonight, like, which we never did that. Like we would just, like I said earlier, we would like grab food really quick and come back. And she was like, go on a date. Like, this is your last night without babies home. And so we did. We went to sushi. We were so tired. We went to sushi. Like, <laughs> it was funny, actually, when we were at sushi, someone came up to us and was like, are you Romy and Piper's mom? Like, it was someone oh. random that worked at the restaurant. And yeah. I was like, yeah. And I was like, guess what? They're coming home tomorrow. <laughs> and That's she was so like, cool. So I always think about that. This, like, random girl at the sushi, sushi restaurant <laughs> was, like, the first person to know the babies were coming home. <laughs> So yeah, then that next day, it actually kind of the process of checking out of the hospital kind of took a long time. And then I remember we like, at this point, they're like, they're not preemie anymore. They're like eight pounds, which was another frustrating thing. Like I always thought I'd take these like teeny babies home. I think they were like almost nine pounds when we took them home. Like they were big. So not big, but you know what I mean? Yeah. So we put them in their little car seats and they put them in these little wagons and like wheel them outside. And I remember we just like put them in the car and then we were like, we're driving down the, I'm going to like cry. We're driving down the road with our babies, like in the car with us. There's not a nurse here. There's not a doctor. Like it was the most amazing feeling. And then like we got home and we like walked in the front door and I was just like, they're in the house with us. Like it was, <laughs> and, and honestly, that feeling didn't go away for a really long time. Like even still sometimes, and I think it's a combination of like, whoa, we have two babies. Like we have twins. Yeah. Like what? It's a combination of that and just being like, we are so lucky they're here. And like, that's really, like, changed our attitude, like I said before, about, like, so many things. Like, the hard parts about being a parent, like, honestly don't seem hard. Like, yeah, teething's whatever, but at least they're home with us, you know? And, like, <laughs> being sick is whatever, but at least we're home. Like, so, but, yeah, that first day, like, just little things. Like, having, like, our dog meet them for the first time. And then, like, sitting on the couch holding the baby. Like, because we, the chairs at the hospital are so uncomfortable. Like, I remember mm -hmm. I would just dream about sitting on the couch holding my baby. And, like, being able to do that was, like, the most amazing feeling in the world. And we stayed home for, like, a month. Like, we didn't go anywhere. Like, we just, like, held our babies at home. So... But really I love amazing. what you said about, like, that feeling stayed for a long time. What a gift. A long time, yeah. Huge. That's something that not a lot of people could say. So yeah. for all that's of huge. the struggle that you guys had to endure, that's pretty cool that you I mean, it's like, it's that. like, what they, what do they say? Like, the struggle makes it worth it. It's like, the struggle lasted for so long that, like, the reward also lasted for a really long time, you know? Which... Again, I feel guilty saying that because for some people, that's not how it turns out. But for us, that's how it turned out. And so I try to let myself enjoy that. And then also, like, make sure that I, like, don't forget what it felt like to be there and, like, try to help other people as much as I can, you know? Right. And, well, I feel like you can look at, too, what the struggle that you guys went through and look at how this is going to help people and how you already have helped people and how... Just like those stories, you probably don't know, but just like those stories that helped you when you were in that stage of feeling scared and overwhelmed and like, what is going to happen to me? Like how many people you've probably helped with your blog posts or with your Instagram posts or when I know you guys have been able to speak and you've helped with fundraising and all these things that like, yeah. think about how that 
wouldn't be in your life if you guys had just had some normal delivery and moved on with totally. your lives. Yeah. And I, and I hope so. Like, I hope, I really hope that Romeo and Piper are able to do something like great. I mean, there was a nurse in the NICU. This is another story that really helped me. So I'll just share it really quick. There was a nurse in the NICU who are one of our favorite doctors had delivered her as a preemie like 33 years before. Wow. And then she came back and was working as a nurse under him. Like, just a super like awesome person. Like you would never know she was a preemie. She was born super early too. And so like just stories like that have helped so much. And I hope, you know, Romeo and Piper can do whatever they want, but I hope <laughs> that they, you know, I want to at least teach them to find things that they can do to help like in this area. And it's hard because it's like, there, it feels like there's not a lot you can do, but I think like, like I said, like sharing your story helps a lot. There's a lot of organizations that help with like, I mean, I don't know if this is appropriate to like shout out like okay for sure so shout um, out whatever you want like we have recently like I, I said before we've been working with the chalk foundation and they do a lot of like really amazing work and the chalk hospital is non-profit so it's been amazing to work with them we joke that we're like fundraising for them but we're still paying our hospital bills but like <laughs> even like our hospital bills like it sounds insane if people like some people have asked like oh how much are your hospital bills and it's like we laugh about it and it sounds awful that we're, like, going to be paying these bills for years, but, like, we don't even care. Like, it's not even, like, a, like, we have healthy babies. Like, we don't care, you know? And so, like, any, we just feel like anything—we feel so lucky for, like, our experience that we're, like, okay, whatever we can do to make someone else's experience easier. And, like, recently I started working with March of Dimes, which I'm really excited about. And they do this really cool thing where, like, in the fall they have, like, a— big baby shower for all the moms that are at the hospital who miss their baby showers. And I mean, when I heard that, I just was like a puddle because I was like, I missed my baby shower. Like I, I remember that. Yeah. Like I, my baby shower was scheduled after I ended up on bed rest. And so like, I just think that's so cool. They throw a big baby shower at the hospital for moms. And there's a bunch of other things that they do. We're actually doing, um, I've been meaning to tell you about this. Actually, we're doing a, they do their big annual walk in May. And so we're like, we want to create like a huge team and all walk together. So. March of Dimes. March of Dimes, yeah. Cool. Have you guys ever done it? No. Okay, well, your, your family's doing it with us this okay. year. So <laughs> let's do it. So, um, so yeah, we just little things like that really help. And then, you know, I just really want to teach Romeo and Piper. Like, I want to like somehow like share the feeling of like how lucky we feel to have them. I want that them to feel that too and just have that appreciation for life and like whatever they decide to do with their lives. So that is so neat. And really just such a blessing that you guys from the very beginning decided that you were going to turn all of the obstacles into something positive. Like, let's find a way to look at this in a positive light. Yes. And I think, I mean, that's also why you guys have and will continue to help so many people. Because just that mindset of no matter what you're going through in life, okay, I have gestational diabetes. How can I, oh, this is going to help me eat healthy. or Totally, like, Yeah. I mean, I could learn from that. I Everyone could. So I mean, I feel and, like you're pretty good at that. But <laughs> I feel like if you do just, like, put that, like, positive spin on things, it makes the biggest difference. And it sounds so cliche, but, like, it really, really works. So, and, it, and when there's, like, 10 things to be sad about, if you can find the one thing to be grateful for, that one silver lining, like, your life will be completely different. Yeah, so. it does. It changes everything. Yeah. Thanks so much, Jen, <laughs> for being here. Where can people find you if they want to follow along with you and Blake and the twins um, and watch the girls grow up? I'll and... only do it if you like seeing babies because there's <laughs> a lot of babies. But I also do try to give a lot of, like, 
tips and like things that help me with our experiences, both in the NICU, but then now that the girls are like healthy, they're 18 months old now, by the way. So now we're going through all of the 18 month stuff and it's so fun. So anyways, you can find me. My Instagram is Jen K Hawkins and my blog is called Palms to Pines. And yeah, I would love if anyone out there has a NICU story or a similar thing. I love hearing from you. I love hearing from other moms of twins. I love hearing from anyone, really. But <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. And I have put up some posts that go into more depth of about the NICU. So if you know anyone in the NICU and like think any of that could help them, like please send it to them. We'll um, put those. We'll make sure to put those specific posts in our show amazing. notes. So be awesome. the show notes are at mintarocom slash podcast. And you can also sign up to have the show notes just emailed to you every time so you don't have to remember to go and get all the notes there but anyway thanks so much Jen for taking the time away from those cute little twins oh yes thank you for having me I feel so honored to be a part of of what you're doing and like your messages uplift me all the time the Mint Arrow Meaningful Mondays and now this podcast like I'm so excited about it and like to just even feel like I get to be a little part of that is like amazing thank you so much thanks Jen Thanks so much for listening to Mint Arrow Messages. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at Mint Arrow. Subscribe to our Apple Podcasts and rate and review us if you like us. And to get show notes, go to mintarrow.com slash podcast. And you can even sign up to get show notes emailed right to your inbox. And we'll email you every time there's a new episode.